Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think we can all agree that at some point in our lives, we've been angry. Maybe it was during traffic. Maybe it was at work, at home. But have you ever stopped to think about the history of anger and what is actually happening in your brain, in your body when you get those feelings? Well, my next guest has a very interesting insight into that. Dr. Thomas Dixon is the director of the Centre for the History of the Emotions at Queen Mary University of London and also the host of the podcast the sound of anger and he joins me now to talk a little bit more about this thank you so much for being here my pleasure i think everybody can relate to anger uh, has some relationship with anger but this is fascinating looking back at kind of the traditional notion of anger and and deconstructing some of those assumptions about that can you talk a little bit more about it Sure. Yeah. I mean, I got interested in anger for my own personal reasons, too, in that I hate getting angry. It really, uh, I don't enjoy it at all. I don't find any benefit in it. You know, some people find it maybe cathartic or even enjoyable or politically necessary. I'm just very uncomfortable with anger. I hate the way it makes me feel. And so I was curious about my own experience. And as a historian and someone who was looking at the history of emotions, I thought, well, I'll try and find out how, how has anger changed over the centuries. And I guess the first big thing that I found out is there's there's no one emotion called anger that we can trace through all cultures and all times and places. There are sort of a family of irate, vengeful, irritated emotions of very different kinds that different cultures have, have kind of talked about. And when you talk about it, it's an interesting way of looking at it because I, I know there's we, there's that phrase anger management, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you're not the only person that doesn't like that feeling or, or that feeling of kind of losing control and not really knowing why it is that that we're getting so angry. And and I, I would imagine that comes into the better understanding of it and what's actually happening to us. Yeah, I do think that learning about the sort of history and philosophy of emotions can be quite therapeutic, actually. I mean, one of my favorite historical texts, which I've enjoyed reading, is Seneca. The Roman Stoic philosopher wrote a book called De Ira, sort of on rage or on anger. Um, And he describes um, rage uh, as a a polymorphous evil. He says this: Mm. there are a thousand varieties of this polymorphous evil. And he sees it as a kind of illness, a kind of madness. Um, which I think is a helpful perspective. I mean, my own perception of of the kind of culture that I live and and move in today is that anger has quite a good reputation. You know, it, it, people think it's an energy and it's useful for political change. And I'm not saying that's always wrong. But Seneca has this this whole book about rage and why it's this madness. And I identify more with that point of view, I guess. Um, and I think what you believe about your emotions massively changes how you experience them. So, for example, if you believe there's nothing you can do about them, um, that's really going to make it quite likely that there is nothing you can do about them. Um, But if you read Seneca or some other psychological therapeutic text of your choice, it might give you more of an understanding that your emotions represent your beliefs um, about the world and that you can actually change those. It may be difficult, but you can change the way you see the world. And you might 
come to see that your anger is not necessary and maybe not even healthy. You use the word rage there as well. Would you say those two are interchangeable, anger and rage? Uh, no, I mean, I, I deliberately use the word rage because I think, so Seneca's text is called De Ira, which is normally translated of anger. But I deliberately call it of rage because I actually think what he's talking about is distinct from modern anger. The kind of rage that Seneca's talking about is really extreme. It manifests itself with people grinding their teeth, stamping their feet, even foaming at the mouth. It also leads to them seeking quite dramatic and sometimes very bloodthirsty acts of revenge against the people who have harmed them. And he means all of that when he talks about era. Modern anger is a is a different thing, I think. I, I'd be interested to know what you and, and your listeners think. But when I think of anger in modern English, I don't immediately think of revenge. It might, it might come up as part <laughs> of the emotional experience. But for ancient Greek and Roman writers, the, the passions they are talking about, which are similar to modern anger, they're all about revenge. It's a kind of honor culture. And it's all about you must avenge the injury that has been done to you. Hmm, yeah, that, that is an interesting way in looking at the, that historical uh, notion of anger. Uh, for me, the, the first thing that came to my mind was was frustration. And I thought of, you know, being in traffic, being in a traffic jam where somebody cuts you right. off when you're driving. And yeah. it's not that I want to go after that person, but I do get very frustrated and angry. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, I mean, some people do, I think, experience that <laughs> as, an, as a desire for revenge. And then um, you see them, you know, herring off from the traffic lights, trying to, you know, get their own back on the driver who has offended them. So there definitely is a space for revenge in, in road rage. But I think if we all have like different words and different nuances for these emotional experiences, then we'll all become more emotionally literate. And I suppose that's what I'm trying to do with the history of anger and the podcast was to try and look at these varieties of irritation, frustration, resentment, rage, fury. There's loads of English words as well as words in other languages for these different shades of feeling. And I think I think one of the dangers of modern psychological and therapeutic ways of talking is this rather easy assumption that we've all got the same emotions. Um, and we've maybe even all got these same basic five or six emotions. Um, like if um, your listeners have seen the movie Inside Out, you know, there's this brilliant film about a girl who's controlled by the five emotions in her brain. And that is a fun film, but it's not a great representation of the variety of human experience, I don't think. Right. And interesting the way people deal with it as well in that I know there are, there are some people that, that scream in anger all the time. There are others that, that don't scream or maybe keep it bottled in rather than, than letting it out. We can probably all think of somebody who we would associate as, oh, that person is quite angry. Uh, but do you look at kind of how people, how people process anger and, and how that varies? Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the things I came across historically was that this... The, the idea you've just sort of hinted at and that we come across quite often probably that um, if people aren't expressing their rage, then they're repressing it um, and that maybe it's it's seething away within even if they don't realize it. That's loosely, you know, a very Freudian idea. It's a psychoanalytic idea um, which came to prominence uh, in the 1960s, 70s, um, became the kind of mainstream view that we are still living with which can be very irritating you know, when you are saying, I'm not angry, I'm really not angry. And they go, oh, you don't realize it. You don't realize it. <laughs> but deep down, you're like, I am not angry. <laughs> and then, of course, you are angry because you've been so provoked by this Freudian analysis of, of your, your hidden rage. And I came across some sources of, of um, people writing in the 1970s about how 
irritating it was, you know, to be to be told you've got anger, whether you know you have or not. And there's this kind of unprovable thing. But definitely people respond, respond differently. Some people feel they have got anger and it's repressed. Other people may feel they haven't got anger and who are we to tell them otherwise? But I, I think the more we can acknowledge that variety, uh, the better. And of course, you know, we're increasingly aware of neurodivergence and the fact that not everybody is neurotypical. And that's even more reason to recognize that people do not all feel the same way. Do you think we are getting a better understanding of anger? I think the best, I think my contribution to this is to say there is no such thing as anger in the singular. There's no it. There's no one emotion that we're trying to understand. So I'm just constantly, my job as I see it, every opportunity I get is to say it's not just one emotion. So the way that I try to understand anger is to say there's no single anger. There's this big family of, as I've said, sort of irate, vengeful, irritated feelings that are weird and wonderful. And yes, we can see we can see similarities in that family. But I try to look for difference more than similarity. I see that's my role as a historian of emotions. Well, it's uh, such an interesting thing to look at and looking at how you uh, have dug into this and researched this. Uh, Professor Dixon, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for being here. It's my real pleasure. Thanks a lot, Joe.